And uh, welcome to our morning worship at Hillhead. Um, our worship this morning is led by our minister, Katrina, and is the first of our Lent series in conversation with Jesus. As well as Katrina, we will hear the voices of Sylvia leading the Lord's Prayer and Leo reading scripture. In a moment, Rachel will light our candle. Um, I'm not aware of any new bits of family news, but a reminder that Alan is now on Ward 6C of Gartnavel and is happy to receive visitors. Another reminder um, of our Church Away Day at Cathcart Baptist Church on Saturday the 11th of March. If you haven't already, um, it would be good for us to have an idea of numbers for catering and childcare. So please fill in the Survey Monkey link or speak to Katrina or myself or really anyone <laughs> um, who's involved, but um, ideally Katrina or myself so we can keep a wee eye on numbers um, so that we know what our plans should be. Our worship next week will be led by Katrina and we'll continue our Lent series. Oh, just another wee note. Um, at six o'clock on Tuesday, our friend Ros Lawson is leading a time of prayer in the style of Teze at the University Chapel for anyone who would want to attend. It's now time for Rachel to light our candle. As we gather for worship, let us join together to become the body of Christ. Christ is the light that lights our way. May we glimpse Christ's light this day. Just for the benefit of those who are joining us via Zoom, we actually have an extra camera this morning. Um, after many months, we have got sufficiently confident that we have a, a camera we can use from the tech desk to the lectern. 
So um, if you're on speaker view on, on your uh, Zoomers, you should see me at the lectern when I'm speaking, not just the view of the congregation. So we're still experimenting. We are <laughs> getting more courageous. So let us come to God in prayer. The writer of the Hebrews encourages the believers with these words. Encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. God, whose love is renewed each day, we approach you reassured that you welcome us as we are and will never and can never love us any more or any less than you do now. We come to you as human beings, shaped by our life's experiences for good or ill, each of us unique and precious in your sight, each capable of love and hate, kindness and cruelty, confidence and despair. In this time of worship, we pray that we might find encouragement for our hearts, refreshment for our souls, and renewed hope for our ongoing lives. Aware how easy it is to become hardened to the harsh realities of daily life and of a broken world, we pray that you would keep our hearts soft and our spirits gentle as we seek to follow Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Good morning, everyone. We are inviting to join together the Lord's Prayer in your own language, preferred and form. And I'm going to join in Spanish. Padre nuestro que estás en los cielos, santificado sea su nombre. Denos toda la voluntad que nosotros queremos. Padre nuestro que estás en los cielos, santificado sea su nombre. Hágase su voluntad tanto en el cielo como en la tierra. Perdone nuestros pecados y nuestros pecadores como nosotros perdonamos a todos. Denos el pan de cada día. No nos dejes caer en la tentación, mas líbranos de todo mal. Amén.
So we find ourselves at the start of the season of Lent. And I'm wondering if anybody has decided to give anything up or take anything on for Lent. Oh, Edith's got a hand up. Go for it, Edith. Oh, it's a bit, it's a bit rubbish, but stop eating chocolate. It's not a bit rubbish at all. Oh, it's such a, um, I love it so much. Okay, that's really good, Edith, because I can tempt you. <laughs> and I know you'll resist. And part of the reason you'll resist is because everybody can see you. But yes, for some people, giving up chocolate. I used to give up chocolate for years and years and years. So, yep, giving up chocolate. Chocolate can be... A huge temptation. Anybody taken anything on for Lent? Decided to do something that they were going to do in Lent? Katrina? More exercise. <laughs> More exercise. Okay. What does that mean, Katrina? Is that if you've taken up weightlifting or um, running? Uh, no, going, doing more rock climbing. And rock climbing? Going out for walks. Okay, more. brilliant. So I guess the temptation there is to give up. Yes, and, or, or, or give in to the sofa. Give in to the sofa, <laughs> or um, give in to a coffee, maybe. Oh yeah, you're a tea drinker, but for yeah. some people, the temptation might be to give in to a coffee. You can kind of see where this is going, really, can't you? So we pray in the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation. So does that mean we think that God tempts us? Do you think God tries to trick us, tries to tempt us? I think God doesn't, but I think God does allow us to experience temptation. These are for later. Sorry, Edith, they're no good for you. They've got chocolate on. But uh, a few more things to tempt you. The thing is, temptation is really normal and really natural. It's part of life. Being tempted is not wrong. It's not sinful. It's just a thing that happens. And temptations can be quite obvious. Can I tempt somebody with a bag of crisps? <laughs> or they can be quite subtle. Well, perhaps I'm a bit tired today. I'll not walk as far. It's only a little bit of chocolate, after all. A little bit on those biscuits wouldn't count. But actually, you might think, on balance, it does. Last temptation to offer you. This looks nice and healthy. It's some fruit. So um, I'm sure somebody will succumb later. You're not going to succumb when I'm watching you. That's not how good. I've also got some nuts, I forgot I had some nuts, but they are sealed up just in case. Yeah, don't want to trigger anybody's nut allergies if you've got them. And I apologise, um, Zoomers, if you couldn't quite see what was going on then when I was moving around. Well done, camera desk, did an amazing job switching all those cameras around. In the Bible, we're told that Jesus experienced every kind of temptation that we we can experience. We're going to hear about three temptations today. Every temptation, the temptation to run away, the temptation to eat too much, the temptation not to look after himself, whatever it is, Jesus experienced those temptations. And because he was Jesus, he managed to overcome them all. But we don't always, do we? I went for a long walk yesterday and I was determined I was going to get to the end, but I was starting to get tired by the end. It was very tempting to give up. I didn't. But boy, when I saw that railway station, it was tempting to do so. But you know what? If we mess up, and we all do, God not only forgives us, God wipes it away as if it had never been and gives us another chance. That's what the scriptures tell us. As far as the east is from the west, so I will remove your sins from you. God chooses to forget. So Lent, season of temptations, and after service, you can help yourself to any of those things. If you feel tempted, please do, because I don't want to be taking them home. But just before our young people go to their own classes, we're going to sing a very well-known and well-loved Lent hymn, 40 Days and 40 Nights.
reading from Matthew 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels uh, concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. So as has already been mentioned, during this season of Lent, our focus will be on the lectionary gospel passages in which we will observe conversations between Jesus and a variety of different people. A religious leader, a foreign woman, a man with a disability, and two sisters grieving the death of their brother. Today, though, we begin with a story recorded in detail only by Matthew and Luke, and each of whom has clearly adjusted that story for their own readership. In this story, we find Jesus in conversation with, well, who is it? In the title for this sermon, I've chosen to call them the slanderer. Why this name? Why not the devil or even Satan? For surely that's who it is, isn't it? Anyone who's known me for a long time will know I have a habit to fall down rabbit holes that lead me to explore, via the work of clever people, scholars and interpreters, the Greek words used in the Gospels and what they might have meant in the ordinary everyday usage at the time they were, the Gospels were written, or even what their origins might be. Rather than being stuck with the translations, the interpretations over hundreds of years into English. You may have noticed, and you might not have done, it's fine, that as that passage was read for us, three different words were used for the one with whom Jesus was in conversation. The word devil is used four times. Tempter is used once. And Satan is used once. So I then went and had a look at the equivalent passages in Luke, passage in Luke, and that only uses the word devil, and it uses that five times. And then in Mark, where there's just the most fleeting reference to this story, the name used is Satan, and that's used just once. So it seems to me that the word translated devil is the one to focus on, except that it isn't used in the Greek as a name. It's an ordinary noun, albeit one translated, sorry, albeit one with a definite article, the devil. In the same kind of way as we might say, the cat, 
or even the car. So not any old devil, if you like, but a specific devil. And maybe not even a creature, but some other kind of object or entity. What about the word itself, though? In this story, the word used is a Greek word, diabolu, from which we get our word diabolical. But it is also used in three other places in the scriptures. It's used in both of the letters to Timothy and in the letter to Titus. In each case, translated as slanderers. Those who deliberately, maliciously and often cunningly falsely accuse others. It's used for gossips or those who delight in bad-mouthing, backbiting or ridiculing other people. So we need to be a little bit consistent here. If we translate the world as devil, does that mean in the letters we're being told not to be devilish or to be little devils? As I reflected on the translation of the word as slanderer, I found myself calling to mind a concept of an inner critic, a kind of little voice that whispers negative thoughts, demeans the individual and causes them to question their own competence and their own worth. So I wonder, could we imagine the slanderer not as something outside of Jesus, but as an inner voice in his own mind, setting out to deceive and undermine him? A cruel whisper that causes him to question his understanding of who he is, who God is and what that might mean for his life and his ministry. I think we can. I think that is a legitimate way of hearing and and exploring that story. And I have a suspicion that for well-educated 21st century individuals, that might be more meaningful than the idea of a supernatural being especially one that's shaped by medieval images of somebody with horns and a tail, which is definitely not anywhere in anything I've read. So if the slanderer is an inner malign voice, might there also be an inner creative voice, a kind inner voice? As part of my work as a pastoral supervisor, We often use a a concept called the inner wise guide. Quite who or what that person is is something that theorists and practitioners don't quite agree about. But essentially, it's an imaginary person who combines the best of all that has informed our life so far. So a person being supervised might identify their inner wise guide with a specific person who's been hugely significant for good in their life. But more typically, and I think more helpfully, it will be a composite, an imaginary person whose characteristics and insights are the sum of all the positive ideas and influences that have shaped the person so far. So I found myself wondering, just maybe this conversation between Jesus and the slanderer could be imagined as an internal dialogue involving his inner critical slanderer and his inner wise guide. The story starts with Jesus tired and hungry and therefore hugely vulnerable to the slanderer's guile. If you are the son of God. Perhaps there are some echoes here of the beginning of the Genesis story, Genesis 2, which resonate all through history. Doubt is planted in Jesus' mind about his identity. Is this who I am? Am I really a child of God? Am I really the unique son of God, as I heard a voice say at the time of my baptism? Maybe I imagined all that. Maybe I'm just deluded. But what if it's true? What if I really have got divine power? His stomach growls and his head aches. He longs for food and rest and refreshment. That little voice inside whispers again. Go on then. Prove it. See those stones over there? Just a little miracle. 
just a test to see if it's true. Make them into bread. Then I could feed myself. And Do you know what? I could actually feed the world. And, and then, as he's drawn deeper and deeper into speculation, his inner guide speaks. What was it you learned when you were growing up from your mum and dad? Did you learn from the rabbis? What do the scriptures teach? And his mind stirs a memory. What was it? Oh yes, that's right. We need to remember the story about the Exodus. The times when the ancients were wholly provision on, dependent on God's provision of manna. Just enough for one day at a time. Yeah, I need to be dependent on God. I need to put that first. It's not just about satisfying my needs. And so he answers the slanderer. He relaxes for a bit, but he's still tired and he's still hungry and his mind starts to wander again. And that voice speaks again in his mind. If you really are who you think you are, then go and jump off the highest point of the temple. Oh, by the way, you can justify this one from the scriptures. You can find a verse here and a verse there that will support your actions. It's really tempting, isn't it? If you depend on God, then why not do that in a dramatic public spectacle right at the centre of religious life? I wonder if Jesus starts to realise how risky that would be. Perhaps he pauses, weighing it all up, thinking through the outcomes. Or just supposing this is right. Just supposing I go up there and leap off and I land held by God's angels and carried down way. Well, that could be brilliant, couldn't it? Fame and success and followers. But hang on a minute, he says. Actually, those verses of scripture are part of Psalm 91. Exit's character, I know this because I looked it up. And so he thinks, well, what's that about? That's not about publicity stunts. That's a song for a start. And it arises in the brutal reality of armed conflict. This is somebody who wants to be kept safe in an unchosen situation. And his inner guide reminds him to look at other parts of the scriptures. And he recalls from Deuteronomy 6, which is where a lot of these quotes come from, that he shouldn't test God. It's not enough to know the scriptures. You can't just find a verse and whip it out of context and twist it round to suit yourself. Dealing with temptation is not a battle between the proof texts. He needs wisdom to discern between the timeless truths and the time-bound contextual comments. To work out what is literally the case and what's metaphorical. Between what is poetry and song and what is teaching and training. But the slanderer is subtle and doesn't give up. This is an inner voice that will not be silenced. And in the third part of the conversation, an appeal is made to him to give himself over to the way of the diabolic, to beguile, to cheat, to lie, to steal, to manipulate, to exploit, whatever it takes. To silence once and for all the way of wisdom to abandon all that's gone before and to choose the way of self. Alone in the wilderness, exhausted and tormented by his internal dialogue, Jesus digs deep. Deep into the things he has known since childhood. 
he recalls the central tenets of his Jewish heritage. The first and greatest commandment, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. And then just a little bit further through that same passage, the reminder to revere and serve only God. This is the wisdom. This is the wisdom of God. He summons all that is left of his willpower and he banishes that slanderous voice. Go away, he says. I'm going to listen to the quiet wisdom of God's spirit. I'm going to claim my true identity as a beloved child of God and in his case, the beloved son of God. And now, having wrestled his way through that inner conversation, he's as ready as he can be to get on with fulfilling his ministry. It's not the case that the slanderer won't return, that there'll be no more little whispering voices. It's not the end of temptation. But in this moment, in this story, he's as ready as he can be to go and fulfil his destiny. I wonder what you make of this idea, this imaginary conversation. You might want to dismiss it as heresy. Well, hey, it's me, come on, you're going to get some heresy if it's me. Uh, (laughs) You may dismiss it as mere speculation. And you're right to do that if you want to. But I think it does have some merit, and I think there are some principles we can take into our own lives so that our own inner wise guides can speak to us. First of all, the slanderer questioned Jesus' identity as a beloved son of God, if you are the son of God. I wonder how many times we've heard similar questions, either in our own minds or spoken to us by others, if, if you are. In other words, questioning your identity, questioning your value as a human being. So here is some wisdom to hold on to. Every single one of us is a beloved child of God, created in God's own image and likeness, and in whom God delights. And for those who like chapter and verse, that's Genesis 1.31. Slightly paraphrased. Secondly, the slanderer manipulates scripture to fit a distorted agenda. The Bible is an extremely complicated and confusing set of ancient texts. Parts of it held sacred by Jews, Christians and Muslims alike. The temptation to try and make neat, coherent, whole argument about something so big and complicated is real. And it leads to all sorts of unhealthy and unhelpful arguments. And goodness knows we've seen enough of that on the media recently. There is an oft-quoted saying, I can prove anything with a verse taken out of context. And that is all too true. One of the big challenges faced by every generation of believers in Jesus is to distinguish between what is time-bound and contextual and what is timeless and universal. For a long time, Christians justified slavery based on the scriptures. It took a lot of courage for people to challenge that. There were Christians on both sides of the argument. The ordination of women is another one, and it still rumbles on. We've actually seen in the Southern Baptist Convention bless them, because otherwise I would curse them very loudly, that they have thrown out a congregation who ordained a woman. Shock horror. And the current ugly debates about human sexuality and gender all arise from the use and abuse of scripture to support a particular perspective. So here is some timeless wisdom to hold on to. A benchmark against which we can... uh, weigh our attitudes and our actions. I've already said it, but I'm going to say it again. Jesus said the greatest commandment 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your strength, all your soul, and all your mind. And love your neighbour, your gay neighbour, your trans neighbour, your female neighbour, your enslaved neighbour, your slaved neighbour, your homophobic neighbour, as you love yourself. Actually, I did that bit in the middle because Jesus didn't expand, because you can't expand on something like that. Lastly, the slanderer attempted to lure Jesus into the ways of the diabolic. Forget all this beloved child of God nonsense. Never mind this love God with every ounce of your being and love everyone else, especially those you don't like. Just choose the way of self-interest. I wonder what that might look like. That temptation to get a promotion by lying or cheating by backstabbing, by abandoning our principles? Does it, could it mean you just buy the things we want without even thinking about the ethical standards of the manufacturer or the distributor? To turn a blind eye to modern slavery or human trafficking? That's the kind of lure that's there for all of us. So I think our final voice of wisdom has to come from Jesus himself who said, when faced with that temptation, be gone, Sandra, be gone. I choose the way of truth. I choose to follow God and to follow God alone. Nearly finished, Paul. <laughs> As this sermon draws to its end, I found myself torn. Because on the one hand, I think I should be saying something about how we respond to all that's going on in the world, of which we're a part. And on the other, I want to talk about our own internal dialogues. But the truth is that's a false distinction. That's a, an unhelpful temptation. The wisdom we need to respond to our own inner critic or slanderer is exactly the same wisdom that allows us to speak into a damaged and disordered world. God loves us and God loves all creation with an everlasting love. We are called to do our utmost best to love God, to love other people and yes, to love ourselves. Of course we won't always manage it. I certainly don't. But when that cunning, deceptive voice whispers slander into our ear, this is the inner wisdom to help us to make wiser, kinder and more godly choices. Amen.
Let us pray. God of wisdom and compassion, we come to you now with our prayers for others. And as we do so, there are so many temptations. The temptation to say words that others will admire or approve, to make me as a leader feel good about myself. And aren't these, after all, just such words? The temptation to pray long prayers with pious-sounding words actually mean very little. The temptation to tell you what you already know and to call that prayer. The temptation to remind you of your promises because it frees us from responsibility or action. And the temptation to give up altogether because it all seems so impossibly complicated. So we choose to banish these slanderous thoughts and instead to do our best to pray with honesty and to play our part in living out the answers we seek. In our own church community, we're grateful for the tech team who week by week set up the equipment that enables us to connect with each other for worship and friendship. So easy to take for granted that the Zoom link will arrive, that the microphones will work and the recordings will become podcasts. Help us to value this practical service as worship and support those who exercise their skills in this way. Our prayer diary draws to mind these friends. Addy, Moji, Esther and David, also known as Shay. Elham, Ali, Benjamin and Badia. Nasi, Nikan and Nikia. Leslie and Alistair. Marit, Tom and Arthur. Ian, Elizabeth and Joanna. Christian, Alan. We recognise the very real temptation to reel off a list of names week by week and to call that prayer. As we hear these names, there are some we know well and others we barely know at all. Some who worship here regularly and others only on occasion. Please help us to value them enough to get to know them better and to develop friendships. As we turn our thoughts to the churches and our Baptist Union, it becomes even more of a challenge to pray meaningfully, as these really are little more than names on a list, and detailed prayer requests are so often unavailable. This week, we're invited to pray for Butte Baptist Church. And we call to mind Nicola, who completed a placement with us just before the pandemic. And Minister Peter, who, with his wife, combines ministry with parenting of their children. We pray for Calderwood Baptist Church, a large church in East Kilbride, which employs three ministers and runs a number of vital community projects. And also Calendar Baptist Fellowship, a plant from Stirling Baptist Church, another large church with three ministers that runs a number of social action projects. Please help each of these churches to live out the great commandment in their local area. BMS World Mission particularly asks us to pray for the nation of Ukraine and for Ukrainian Christians scattered across the world. Recognising the complexity of the situation and the damage done to relationships between ordinary people caused by occupation and armed conflict, we're asked to pray for wisdom in how restorative conversations may happen and trust be rebuilt. With gratitude for their work in coordinating the responses from around the globe, 
we pray for the work of the European Baptist Federation, who offer robust support to refugees and to migrants. God of justice and peace, we are aware of the temptation to bring you a shopping list of vague prayers, of names and places, things on the news, things we feel we ought to pray about but often don't know how or where to begin. So we take some moments of silence, not to speak, but rather to try to listen for the inner wise guidance of your Holy Spirit, reminding us how to live out our prayers in our everyday lives as we seek to love our neighbour as we love ourselves. God, who has heard our prayers, who has felt our feelings, who knows our hearts, accept our words, our thoughts and our intentions, for we offer them in Christ's name. Amen. word of blessing. As our time together ends and we go our separate ways into the unknown of the week ahead, may the God who loves us bless us with confidence in our identity as God's beloved children.
May the Christ who understands human finitude and frailty bless us with courage in the face of temptation. And may the Holy Spirit bless us with wisdom and insight in all we do or say, this day and each new day. Amen.